Bradley, I want to thank you for taking the time to come oh, this pleasure. morning. Listen, we just got through discussing how we met, mm -hmm. and it was years ago, probably first through the ACCJ, yeah. and then later through ASIG parents we know, mm -hmm. and my son's being at YAS, two of my sons being there. Yeah. Well, let's start with Bradley. Where were you born? Well, I was born in a uh, small uh, town in Iowa literally the back of nowhere um, it was a really they called it a village uh, the county has specifically and maybe purposefully decided that they were not incorporating uh, their towns and so i'm from a village called farmington iowa do you know how many people were there at the time yeah. 650. It is a village. What do you mean? <laughs> that can't be considered a town. So, I mean, I had more people in my junior high school. 650. 650. Yeah. So everyone knew everyone. Oh, yeah. we knew the neighbors' dogs. Right. So Literally. I mean, were there a lot of families related? Uh, not in our case, but yeah, there were plenty of families. If you could say the such and such family, and you knew 12 or 15 people who okay. were uh, all had that name, but not in our case. Did you grow up there until when? I was there until I was 17 and went to college. Had you traveled outside of Iowa prior to that? Well, not really. I mean, we had relatives in uh, the Chicago area, okay. in Lake County. That was and the closest so, big yeah. city? The closest big city is St. Louis. St. Louis, okay. But we didn't really have much to take us there, except my dad was a big Cardinals fan. And so we would go down about once a year to see a Cardinals game. But that was a big treat. Um, and, you know, so back then, there weren't as good a roads. So it took five, six hours, you know, to get there. So it was a big deal. Okay. You don't mind saying what years this is? You uh, no, I don't. don't. Um, I was born in 66. Okay. Uh, so when we were going back and forth to ball games, it would have been the 70s. Right. Uh, and I would have gone to college in eighty. Four, so. Do you have siblings? I have two brothers. Okay, older or younger? One older, one younger. I'm the middle. Okay, how many years between you and the oldest? Three years between my older brother Brian and myself, and just one between my younger brother. So you're really close with your younger brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he actually joined me in how Japan for that about out? a decade. Okay, yeah. so are you close with your older brother? We are we are close. Uh, we're good okay. friends, but but uh, he is still in the Midwest, and I've spent all of my adult life in Japan. Okay. Uh, and so, so we don't get to see each other that often. Maybe four or five times a year. Okay. What about mom and dad? How are they doing? Well, my dad just passed this past year. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, he unfortunately had Parkinson's, and oh. uh, from about he died at 90, and so from about 80. But he had a good. That's good. Oh yeah, it was a good. I mean, run. how long yeah. did he have Parkinson's? Well, we knew about it for five years. So from about 85 to 90, it was a slow progression. The last two years were very difficult. And then the last year, we, well, I had to go back and take my dad to a nursing home and convince my mother, you know, not to, you know, be too upset about it. She could still drive there and see him. We got him a place close by. Mm -hmm. But she just couldn't do it anymore, you know. Right. Um, How think, old is you know, your mom? She's much younger. She's uh, 12 years younger than my dad. Okay. Uh, so she's just 78 this year. And, and unfortunately, because of all this stuff that she was doing focusing my dad, she didn't take care of her health. And so we've been spending the last year, I've been going every month pr practically, and we've been uh, getting her eyes redone, knee redone, you know, kind of, she's turning into the bionic woman. Isn't that something? <laughs> and isn't it nice that we live in a time where that can be done? Oh, yeah. And is she living alone? or is She, she li is living alone. Isn't that something? Yeah. See, and that's another good thing. Yeah, yeah. That we wouldn't even imagine well, any of this when we were young. My older brother has offered numerous times to put her up in one of his extra houses uh, near him, and she just won't do it, mm -hmm. you know? There's, but part of it is pride, I suppose, but part of it is they don't, people don't really need to do that any, anymore f until, you know, much later in age for most people. Because yeah, we have video chatting, you yeah, can see, yeah. you can put cameras up so you can see what's going on if yeah, she allows yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. at least outside of the house. We've like got her on Messenger, on the right. iPad. So right, and she yeah. can handle all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's well. good. That's good. Yeah. So what was it like for you growing up? With you have three, br I mean, two brothers. Two brothers. You yeah. know, your older brother. I'm trying to imagine that because he's three years older than you, so that's still kind of close. Yeah, yeah. Enough for you to be. Well, my yeah. So my older brother was kind of like a little mini hero for me, you know, when I was a kid because of course he was just old enough to feel like he was old uh, when you're growing up, and and he like your kids was super athletic and sporty. And and I never was. I was always bookish, uh, and so you were more of an academic oh, than totally. you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the way through school. Yeah, for me, my whole life was was study and politics, and that was it. And what, what do you think started that? Just because. Well, well, I think all three of us are entirely different. Okay. And we come from exactly the same parents, so there's. Do you something look alike? Do you guys look alike? We too? look similar to one another. Um, Who do you look more like? Uh, well, I look very much like my dad now as I get older. Um, when I was young, everyone thought I looked like my, mo my mother. Okay. And they would make jokes about the fact that I was from the milkman because the other two looked just like my dad. Um, but as I get older, I'm seeing, I seem to be aging into his lines, and, and of course I have his hair. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, I've, I've moved from kind of on my mother's end of the spectrum to my father's end of the spectrum. And, uh, and that's been an interesting transition, actually, because um, I think my father being so, he was very sporty, although he was a teacher. Um, what type of teacher? He was, well, he was trained to be a zoology, biology teacher. Okay. But he taught our entire growing up in as, as an English teacher. Wait, wait. So, because your town was very, I mean, your village was very small. Yeah, yeah. So, did you have one teacher all the way through elementary school? Was uh, that the way you guys did it? Well, my father was a middle school teacher, so yeah, we had one teacher for each class. There was only enough kids for one class, basically, right, okay. for one grade level, you know. So we had we had one teacher for each grade level. Oh, a different teacher. Yeah, exactly. So we, it wasn't like an old one room school. Because one room, because sometimes yeah, they have one teacher teaching yeah, all they, the way they through. They do have that, right? Uh, but not where we we, where we were. Um, and so we had three or four communities around us were sending all their kids together. So you did only have one school for your village? Yeah, well, one, school, one yeah. school for half of our county. And there were, well, I don't know, whatever, five, six towns back then that sent their kids to this school. Okay. And the other half of the county had another school. And then there was actually a third school years and years ago. But they consolidated, consolidated, consolidated. And now my school's gone. And the only school that remains in our in our county is Van Buren County High School. And How many people in your county? I mean, in your eight thousand. It's from the six to eight thousand now. Yeah, so it's eight thousand in the total. In, in the, the total. Whole, in the whole county. What about county. where you came from? Yeah. 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 Eight thousand. Eight thousand whole that. county. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh -huh. uh, and a, and a, maybe a third of those are Amish and Mennonite. That's so they don't thinking. they don't send their kids to right. the school. So. Right, they train them themselves. Yeah, right. so so the the pool of kids that are going to school is very small. Wow, because right. they have most of the kids too, don't they? Oh, sure. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need them because they they build and they do everything. Yeah, yeah. They make all the furniture and the homes and yeah, exactly. barns and yeah, yeah, yeah. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. So you grew so up around that. Did you ever have oh, any yeah. Amish friends? Well, not you friends couldn't. really, but, uh, but of course we've always known Amish families. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, when we were, we, we had an apple orchard um, as well. So my dad was a teacher, my mom was a, a social worker. She worked with uh, elderly folks who did like Meals on Wheels programs, okay, that okay. kind of thing. And, uh, and my, my father was very handy. And so he quite regularly would go and help out some uh, Amish folks who were working on somebody's house or this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we, at one point we built our own house. And when we built our own house, then they, of course, Otagaini came in right. and helped out as you well. You didn't help? You weren't involved? Oh, of course. When we built our house, I was. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, what, yeah. what were you doing mostly? I did the electricity, primarily. You <laughs> wired the house? I wired the house. How old were you when, the, when you built this house? Um, 12 or 13. Okay. Something like so you that. didn't learn basic wiring by that yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, wiring is actually pretty simple as long as you don't have. Well, nowadays it's very fancy because they have okay. all these, you know, digital. It's this still and that, It's still easy. It's still not but, difficult. Uh, yeah. But it was very straightforward. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the the difficult parts were when you had to wire two twenty, uh, or if you were uh, putting in some kind of three way switch. 
Right. And uh, and then you just got to make sure you follow the diagram. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, cross those wires at all. <laughs> yeah, just do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, so as a kid, you said that you're more academically inclined. Yeah. So what was it like for you growing up through elementary school first? Well, it was fine. You know, it, because it's a small town, everybody knows everybody. Um, and I had my older brother there to beat anybody up who was going to get in my way, right? Okay. So, <laughs> right. so I, I was treated well. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't have those kinds of, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Ijime. Right, you didn't have Ijime and you didn't yeah. have cliques because everybody knew yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were just one happy team. Yeah, just, yeah. But you knew the kids, no matter what they were like or what disabilities they may have, that seemed normal to you. Yeah, of I'm course. Assuming. I mean, there was right. we, there was a guy that just got an uh, invitation on Facebook from yesterday, in fact, who has changed his name, um, and I'm not even sure what the reason for that was. But when I, I didn't recognize the name, I opened up and I saw his face, and I knew immediately who he was. His name was Todd when we were kids, and uh, and he had some kind of physical uh, deformity at birth that caused him to to uh, not be able to use one hand and one leg properly. Um, and, uh, and he was two years younger than me, I want to say, and his brother was in my class, and, and he was, you know, not, and had no disability. Um, okay. And they were on our side of the highway. And so because they were on our side of the highway, it meant we could play with them when we were kids. Got you. We couldn't cross the highway. Right. And, uh, and so, we were friends from the time we were, you know, little kids and never thought about it. It wasn't a, it was wasn't a thing. Just the way it was. Yeah, That's yeah. just the way it was. Just, it was just the way it was. Exactly. I, think about, I think back to how divided we've become in so many different ways yeah. to try to become the I mm -hmm. instead of the we. And how I grew up, it was just we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember Nikki, who he had one leg shorter than the other, mm -hmm. and another kid that had a hair lip. Yeah, yeah. Billy. And it wasn't. That's just who they were. Yeah, you didn't think good or bad about it. That's no, just no, the way course. they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously it meant that there were certain like positions, for example, like we'd play football or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and there were certain things he wouldn't be able to do, uh, but uh, but he just played a different role. Right. But he did play. Of course. He had yeah, to. Of course. Yeah. Something. What's he gonna do? Stand, <laughs> sit on the sidelines? <laughs> right. So your little brother, so your younger brother, being just a year younger than you, how was it with you and him? Well, we are still very close, um, okay. and we see each other all the time. We vacation together. We do stuff together all the time. He spent ten years here in Japan, uh, and uh, and worked for Robert Simon actually. Um, and uh, anyway, he's he's uh, living in Thailand, uh, and uh, he's married to a guy from Thailand, and okay. so we go and see them pretty regularly. We're going to be going there for the the new year. Uh, well. Now you said he's married to a guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, what about yourself? I my wife is Japanese. Okay, and your older brother? Uh, he's married to a local girl. Okay, uh, so both I you two, you two decide. You guys, both you and your older brother, mm -hmm. do you have kids? I don't have. We don't have any kids. No. Okay. Yeah. What about your older brother? He has three kids, uh, also three boys, <laughs> and uh, the oldest two of those already have seven kids between them. And so my my brother has seven grandchildren. They're still in Iowa. Well, they're actually in Illinois, across the river. But yeah, they're, okay, they're, they're very nearby. Yeah, seven kids. Yeah, yeah. They moved to a, a town that has a real economy. So they they moved to a place called Quincy, Illinois, okay. which isn't far from Hannibal, Missouri. Do you know uh, mm. Tom Sawyer? Yes, so yes, it's, yes. It's yes. the same, it's the exactly same kind of environment. It's a river town, um, heavily Catholic. They're Catholic now. Um, but where were, you, where were you raised? Baptist. Baptist? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Baptist. But I mean, were you the Baptist that were really Very verbalized? Serious. I mean, I know. were you quiet Baptist? Quiet really Baptist, quiet, quiet yeah. Quiet Baptist, yeah. did it really quietly. Yeah, I don't know. I, so <laughs> I studied religion as part of my undergraduate okay. studies. Um, and uh, and so, you know, there were Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists. And, right. and there was there's some history about why there is a, d a difference, right? Real quick, what's the history? Uh, the Southern Baptists were slave owners, That's uh, right. and Northern Baptists were anti-slavery abolitionists. Okay. And That's uh, right. and then the Northern Baptists started splitting into smaller and smaller groupings, and uh, and our particular group is a very s narrow, very traditional stuck in the 19, whatever you want to call it, 40s, let's say, 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's no smoking, drinking, dancing, playing cards, you know, none of that. Yeah, so there's no, there's no shouting in church. No, 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 no banjos, no, 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 no guitars, no, uh, no pianos. No, no. Well, they do do no, pianos. They do the piano, they yeah, but it's pianos. nice and, I know, yes, right, they do Although have the piano. The, the, right. the but no tambourines. I, no, 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 no. The college I went to is a, was a Disciples of Christ okay. uh, uh, heritage school, and that's a split between the United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, and what used to be called the Church of Christ. And the Church of Christ was non-instrumental. It uh, was? Yeah, yeah. So I went to church for two years at a church during college years uh, where they didn't play music. They only sang all a cappella. All a cappella. All a cappella. It was beautiful, actually. Okay. Well, yeah, they had yeah. some good, probably some good singers. Well, I mean, you know, when you start this young learning parts. That's, I guess it would. Then you start to develop. Somebody yeah, has yeah, a little yeah, vibrato yeah. in their voice. And yeah, exactly. It starts to happen. Yeah, yeah. So it, that was beautiful. Although, I, I mean, I don't I believe anything that they believe on social matters and so on. But, mm. but uh, yeah. But that was a lovely group to be with for a while. Okay. And, uh, and honestly, I think that played into my interest in things like coming to a place like Japan, you know. Okay, so going through school, mm -hmm. you weren't very physical. Oh, no, no, no. But you had to get involved in some of the games. There's well, no I way the way you could be there. I, I played basketball okay. for f and basically g got to practice. I didn't get okay. to play. Uh, and and I, you didn't care. Well, no, I didn't care. And literally on game nights, I didn't even suit up. I sat at the stats table and took the stats. <laughs> and we're just as happy as a pea in the pot. Yeah, yeah. And I did that for, ba for baseball because my, my brother started varsity baseball when he was in eighth grade. He was a very a serious baseball player. Okay. And, uh, and so I started doing stats for baseball back then because uh, that allowed me to be connected with my brother, my older brother. Right. Was your dad really involved with you guys growing yeah, up? Yeah, well, my dad was always very busy, but yes. Um, he's a teacher, so he has lots, he has our hours. But he was at right? your school, right? Yeah, yeah. So, he had so our did hours. you see him every day? Did oh, you? of mean, course, of course. So he couldn't avoid him. <laughs> I mean, right, right. So I mean, he knew no matter what happened, he knew what was going on. But oh, yeah. As all the other kids' parents would, too. Oh, yeah, it's a small town, so everybody knows thinking, everything. Everyone knows everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the good thing about um, being in a small town like that, this happened to be the town my dad was raised in. So we were coming back from the Lake County, from the Chicago area, to my dad's hometown. Your mother? My mother came from another small town, even smaller, 250 people, um, more toward the middle of Iowa on the very southern border, a place called, called uh, Cincinnati, Iowa. Um, but. Uh, but he taught her, actually. It's kind of a long story. But they never married. But he had, he, had he been be married okay before? Today. Had he been married before? Oh, no. Okay, so your mother is his only wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were married for, I think they were, well, this year they missed celebrating uh, their 60th year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, by by just months. Months. Yeah, months. yeah. yeah. By months. But, but uh, my... My mother was one of my father's students okay. and uh, in this tiny little town, and the superintendent, my mother came from, from two generations of only women in the family. And, uh, and so the superintendent was very intent on seeing my mom be with somebody who, sh who he thought would be stable and you know all of that. Why and was he so intent? Doing um, that. You know, there was only 250 people in town. The school but was tiny, was, so. But who was he to her? Uh, no, just watched out for her. Felt, felt. What about her mother and father? Well, he, she didn't have a father, and her mother didn't have a father. <laughs> so that's why it was two generations of, of women only in the oh, family. Wait, wait, wait. How could they not have? What happened? Well, in the first case, in the 1880s, okay. my great grandmother, right. my great grandmother, um, was apparently a free thinker, and okay. uh, that's and enough said. Yeah, and so she okay. moved. She had three marriages at various points, and my my grandmother uh, followed her around. She had a, she has a one half sibling. Okay. she had one half sibling. They're both dead now, and uh, and she did not have a stable environment, and so when she got married the first time. I want to say she was 16 or 17, which back then was kind of, kind sure, of sure, sure, sure. Um, She had a nervous breakdown right after the wedding, and the guy had it annulled. And she then started living with her mother again.
Um, and it turns out, we now know that she was uh, bipolar. Okay. And so when she was up, she would meet somebody and have a relationship, and then when she was down, people would pitch her. And, uh, and so at some point uh, during the war, she was working at a munitions factory, and she met a guy, and he was married, and she ended up pregnant with my mother. Okay. Uh, and in those days, when you were pregnant with, with a child that wasn't you didn't have a husband, they would send you off to a home to have the baby, then they put it up for adoption, etc. Uh, and so my grandmother was sent to this home in, in uh, Des Moines uh, to uh, have this baby, and uh, when she had the baby, she was up, and she decided she was keeping that baby. <laughs> so, my, so she... Uh, told the nuns or whoever was responsible, you know, that she was keeping it. She wasn't going to go for adoption. That was my mother. And my mother moved in with her grandmother and her mother back in the same house that uh, That was interesting for your mother to grow up like that, though. Yeah, yeah. It was like like the images that people think of as like this sort of um, sharecroppery, like there was no paint on the outside of the house, you know, porch in front with a couple of rockers and out back a, an outhouse, pump outside to bring water in. That was what my mom grew up in. Grew up in that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So your father went, so your father was introduced to her, so like he had an omiyai. I yeah, mean, almost. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, American right. style omiyai, I guess. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. So he, he, they said, you know, if you're interested, you, you should that was be okay, and uh, and so he took her to prom. So to she was prom. just seventeen, or when she you took her to prom? Yeah, seventeen. Right. Yeah. And well, maybe she was even sixteen. I don't know. And he married yeah. her when she was how old? Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Yeah, and. Uh, and he was in his thirties. He was. Maybe. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was twenty nine. But that's not a big distance. Yeah, yeah. Women are much more mature than men, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We know that's that. What they, that's what they say. Yeah, <laughs> and I've, I won't see on camera, but I've told my sons, I think it's better. The younger their wives are, mm-hmm. the easier time, especially if they're financially stable, uh-huh. yeah, it yeah, will yeah. be. If that's out the way, yeah, yeah, and they have a younger wife, that's she good. won't even try to compete with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, she's the same age. I think yeah, it yeah. could be a little bit of a, yeah, an yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, in, in the case of my parents, um, I think my mom was happy for the stability um, she was happy to have a warm uh, place in the wintertime. And it was stable. <laughs> was, yeah, exactly. That's it was stable for sure. And, and my, dad is, my dad's a very, um, a very thoughtful, very uh, caring. Um, he's so civil. He's just one of these people that's, you know, really, like, think... Jerry Ford, or you know, it's like that's that's my father. That's Very, beautiful. Yeah, I've heard before in Japan they say that teachers make not don't mess it, n- don't necessarily make good parents. Uh-huh. I'm completely opposed to that because uh-huh. I'm a teacher. I think yeah. that after you work with other people's kids, you know more than most parents will ever know. Yeah. Because first of all, they think, particularly the women, they think that through some sort of phenomena. Once they give birth, they're going to be endowed with all this information on how yeah. to raise those kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't have a clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do, minus what their parents did to them they didn't like, yeah, they yeah. do exactly what their parents did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which doesn't necessarily mean that's the way you raise a child. Yeah, yeah. And society's changing constantly. Yeah. You this need a PhD mm-hmm. in human education to work with kids today. Yeah. Because they're coming up questioning yeah, yeah. things that weren't even considered. Yeah, yeah. Well, we me- mentioned when we walked in that right. we both know Tom McNamara. Uh, Tom wrote a book. Uh, Tom is a PhD. And Are you and still in contact with oh him? Oh, yeah, of course. I would like to contact him. Are yeah. you on Facebook with him by any chance? Uh, not Facebook. I don't, I'm, not, okay. I'm not a big social media person. I but am. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but, I, but I do stay in contact with him, yeah, uh, mostly yeah. through email. But, uh, but Tom wrote a book, uh, the thesis of which was that that people, normal people, raised as normal people, are not prepared to be parents. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And he put, put together a whole 
hy uh, hypothesis on the way that our brains are formed and, and also using um, evolution and how the stem was the basis of you know the lizard and blah 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 and ultimately he says we're programmed to protect but we're not programmed to, yeah. to really r raise anybody up and so so you need to have people who are trained for that purpose and then his solution was essentially to create a kind of uh, very early universal daycare to bring all of these kids through a system where they are properly um, engaged, basically. Right. Uh, you know, how do you know that your child is going to want to do tactile things as opposed to cerebral things, as opposed to, you know. That's right, or even think about that. Yeah, exactly. You're busy trying to make them use their right hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm left-handed. <laughs> so, but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because that was a taboo. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That used to be a taboo. No, no, you're going to use your right hand. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. how many. My That's dad, being, so a being a baseball player himself, he was so excited when it turned out I was left-handed. Because he knew that would trip everybody up. Yeah, yeah, but then it turns out I, I couldn't throw a ball left hand anyway. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> so when you finished high school, you were you took care of the stats and yep. you didn't even uni put put on a uniform when you came out. I wrestled you? one season. Um, I was, I don't know, not even ninety pounds or something, and so I could wrestle the lowest weight class, but I was tall. Okay. Compared to the other kids who weighed the same right, thing. Right, right. And, uh, and and you know it's Iowa, and wrestling is a big deal in Iowa. So I decided I would wrestle because my the coach came and said, "Wouldn't you please wrestle?" And so I said, "Okay, sure, I do that." So wrestled one year, I did really, really well, and then the next year, I gained, and I was like 110 pounds, just boom. And it wasn't muscle; it was just growing. Right. And uh, and so he came back to me. He said, "Okay, great, we're gonna get you in the 103 weight class." And I was like, "I am not losing any weight. I have spent my whole life being small. I want to be big." <laughs> There's a picture of me and the, with the basketball team, where I'm holding the basketball, and the basketball is wider, wider than, than you I are. Am. And this is high school. And so I said, I am not going to lose any weight. So that was the end of my, my wrestling career. I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm doing that well. I remember being so excited when I could hit 110 because that meant that I could give blood. You had to be 110 to give blood. You had to be 110 to give blood. And I always wanted to give blood. So, so I was 110. I could go give blood. I gave blood. Got up off the gurney and passed out. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. They were, there, they were there. There's they were a there. Yeah, there's right. there a reason. Yeah, there's a reason why they don't give that people give blood when they're small like that. <laughs> so. Wow. so in high school, what were your subjects that you were really focused on? Because you you have to start thinking serious now, and you're in a well, small town, so you had to start right, thinking. Right, right. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, our school didn't have much variety, so I just took the whatever the top classes at each grade level. Which were? Well, in high school, the physics um, you couldn't even take calculus; it didn't exist. Uh, but I had a really great maths teacher, and she came out for five, six of us and set up a special pre-calculus class that we did after school so that we could, you know, test well to go into college. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, physics, chemistry, physics, and what they called advanced math were the, as far as it went mm -hmm. um, in our school. So did I you have languages at all in your school? I took Spanish okay. um, for two years. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure I learned much. Um, but, uh, but you know, <laughs> I took it. Right, you right. needed to if you wanted to go right, to college right, right, at the time. Right, right, right. Not so much anymore, but back then it was a requirement. Uh. And, uh, and more, I was more interested in um, social sciences, um, politics and, you know, government, that kind of thing. What, what but, I wanted, but I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and so I took all the science. What type of doctor? Uh, well, I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. Uh, was my thought um, back then? This you know the the new idea of these artificial hearts was just coming out, and and University of Iowa had a big program for it, uh, and so uh, so I thought that's what I wanted to do. But but then in the end, um, you know, money mattered, and so I took the best scholarship that I got, which was a free ride at a small little liberal arts college in uh, in Illinois. Uh, and uh, it included, and, and what made it better than the other four 
free rides was that it included summer travel. They would give me a stipend of six grand a summer to be able to travel abroad, um, do internships, uh, mentorships, that kind of thing. And, uh, and that, was, that, that was a real draw. So I well, well, Because what do you think you were going to do with it? It didn't but matter? Oh, politics. Oh, we mean in terms of what I was going to do with Yes, with the travel, the fact that you could travel abroad. Oh, yeah, because I, well, I mean, it was, I always was one of those people who felt like I could do almost anything. Okay. Uh, I think my parents made me feel that way. Your brothers feel that way, too? Uh, yeah. Okay. Clearly. <laughs> and it was your parents, okay. <laughs> We're all very entrepreneurial, okay. and we've all started That's our good. own things. And, right. Uh, so, yeah, it was clear my parents uh, made us feel that way, and... And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I could be biomedical engineer or, or I could be president. So let's go be president. So I think at the time I thought I was going to go be president, at least a senator, I thought. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so I went to the alma mater of Ronald Reagan. Uh, the scholarship, actually, um, that I got was, uh, was in his name uh, and was paid for by his kitchen cabinet from California. And, uh, and the, the international travel, was ex they were explicit during the process of selection, uh, asking us what we what what they thought what we thought we would do with it as part of the selection process, and they were explicit saying that they expected it to be used for for learning. You've got to explain what it is you want to do. They're not they don't want us to go to another college or school abroad and just take classes. They want us to do something of interest, and their focus really was mentorships. And so I did that's what I did. I did mentorships every year. Um, well, three years. Okay, so um, tell me the first, second, third. Yeah, so uh, the first one was with um, Ronald Reagan's direct mail fundraiser, um, who was in Washington, D.C., um, so I didn't go abroad that year. In fact, I only went abroad one year in the end because of, because of politics. But anyway. Was that time your first and time leaving the state outside of Chicago? And yeah, I mean, we, t we did one vacation as, a ch as children okay, uh, to Colorado to see our cousins. Right. And that was the only time we'd gone anywhere far And how old away. were you then? Mm, seven, eight, maybe. Okay, okay. Something like that. So you were just old enough that you didn't know this wasn't going to be a continual thing. No, no. <laughs> well, I was fine. We didn't know right. any different. And right. all summer long, my dad was always busy doing a second or third job, you know, kind of thing. And you guys drove all the way there? Oh, yeah. Okay. In a station wagon with a pad in the back, you know, right. seat belts, what, what are those? Optional. <laughs> did, did they give you games like count the different license plates you can oh, see? Oh, we did all of that. You did course. all that? Yeah, stuff. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Start with, you have to use a word that starts with a letter and then right. go to the next letter. Right, 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 right. You did a lot and of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Those were the days. That kind of thing, yeah. It was good. That's right. Um, frankly, being in that, even though, even though we didn't go far away, we would go to St. Louis, to Kansas City, to Des Moines, okay. to Chicago. Right. Uh, those were all within shooting distance with the car. And, uh, and we did that a lot, um, probably two, three times a year at mm. least, to go see a, a ball game, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, my father's a big stock car race guy. And so you guys went to the stock car yeah, races? Yeah, we went to stock car races So a you've lot. been watching crashes all oh, your life. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah, knew yeah. that was the thing we came for, to see oh, what kind yeah, of crash yeah, you're going to yeah. have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and my brother, so my, my older brother, he ended up, that his whole life is sports and gears. That's his whole thing. Is and that right? He became a Harley-Davidson dealer, and, and he has, he was the, the Yamaha, they call it YSR, it's a small kind of bike. He was the world champion for three years running, and and uh, yeah, he he's he's still you know he's maybe sixty this year. That's interesting. Fifty nine or sixty. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, maybe because yeah. you're what you're fifty seven. I'm fifty seven. Yeah. Fifty seven. Okay, so yeah, then yeah. you have to be sixty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three years different. I'm just assuming. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you went to D.C. Mm -hmm. To mentor the first one, the yep. three. and that was very interesting. I learned a lot. So, what did um, you what did you mentor, and what? So, I was so the the president of the company uh, was my mentor, um, and I ended up at first I was living with one of his employees, but um, he was a very socially conservative fellow, and uh, a, a Wisconsin. See, I, got it, I had it confused. I thought that you were. Oh, I wasn't going to mentor. No, I was going to learn. So, I all three years, mentee. you have to be mentor. You have to be mentored. It. Okay, yeah, I got yeah, you. Okay, yeah, yeah. go on. And uh, and so he was the president of this 
this uh, direct mail marketing firm that had done Reagan's direct mail marketing. He was very conservative. He was a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, and you may not have ever heard of those, but uh, they are the most conservative version of Lutherans, and they still do, uh, I don't think they call it a mass, but a service uh, in uh, German in many of their locations. Uh, and he grew up in a family that, you know, parents spoke German, but they didn't allow their children to because they wanted them to you know, make sure they after yes, the war. Um, and uh, anyway, he, I ended up moving from the place I was staying into his own home uh, because he felt like it was bad influences at the place that I was staying. Did he have children? He had two children at the time. Uh, well, he still only has two children. Uh, but one was uh, maybe five and one was maybe three. Okay, so they weren't like an that. issue for you, okay. No. Okay. Uh, they were fabulous, actually. They were like, mm -hmm. like having little brothers and sisters, and I, I just was at the wedding. Just before the pandemic, I was at the wedding of one of them. And, oh, that's nice. and yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, so he connected me with just a million interesting people, as you can imagine. Um, he did all the fund, direct fundraising for the Republican um, Senatorial Committee, the Republican Congressional Committee, uh, YAF YAF, which is the Young America's Foundation, Young Americans for Freedom conglomerate, um, just a whole bunch mm -hmm. of super conservative mm -hmm. uh, approaches. My own congressman was at the time the most liberal member of the Republican um, House. So you didn't have Jim to Leach. wait to start having these divisions. No, no, no. You no, started no. off that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so my own my own congressman, who I had paged for and so on, um, they they called me the little Reaganite, and <laughs> and and I love him. His, his name is Jim Leach. He is an amazing person. He's uh, just. It's a real shame that that the Republicans have gone where they've gone and and been so divisive. In fact, they they saw that he lost his election. Uh, by supporting the Democrat uh, against him, and uh, and he became the first most vocal Republican to support Obama, uh, and then became under Obama uh, he became the uh, what do they call it the maybe it's the director of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Okay, I think they call it the director, but anyway. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's a, an office head, you know. Right. Um, so that was your that's the third the first guy. That, so that was the so first yeah. The, so the first guy was conservative um, and uh, very Reagan focused, and introduced me to all these very interesting people, but also the systems that run the political process, uh, and so I had a really early early engagement with uh, this kind of uh, uh, money talks, you know, process. More importantly, though, um, the two things happened during the, well, I then was engaged with them for four years, of course. Um, every year I'd spend a little bit of time with them but before you had this three, You had three different mentors, right? Yeah, so my, he was my first mentor. Right. My second mentor was uh, in, in um, Brussels. It was the head of Caterpillar's uh, political government relations arm. You went to Brussels. I went to Brussels. And I spent that summer, maybe this was 86, maybe? Yeah, I think it was 86. Um, I spent that summer uh, shadowing him, um, frankly doing a lot of uh, the equivalent of the ACCJ work, because he also happened to be uh, the the president or chair, whatever you call the the, the non-employee of the, the of the chamber, right. the president of the chamber, right. and uh, and so that was very interesting. Met lots of of folks who were in business side of things, um, but it was all focused on his work was all focused on getting the European Commission at the time to to allow U.S. products to be sanctioned to be able to move from border to border. Um, they were trying to convince Europe itself to drop borders because they only had dropped some borders, like, uh, for example, say, 
Spain and Portugal dropped their borders, but France and Germany had not, or this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, and during that time, there was a great crisis uh, for Caterpillar because the, in, in Scotland, the uh, plant in Glasgow had a strike. And it was famous in America at the time um, because the, <laughs> the, uh, the workers locked out the, em the employers instead of the other way around. <laughs> I think I remember that, yes. And, uh, anyway. and, they, and they just kept making tractors. And so my guy was sent from, from Brussels to negotiate, and he brought me with him. And that was, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks we were there negotiating. That was amazing. I can imagine. It was amazing. I, just, it, I just sat in the corner. I didn't get to say anything or do anything. How did it turn out? Was he successful in his He was successful. Um, he's a, a thoughtful Midwestern guy. He's from Minnesota, um, speaks seven or eight languages. Um, he's a Swedish heritage originally. Maybe he's, maybe he's Finnish heritage okay. originally, but, but spoke Swedish and Danish and French and Spanish and whatever. Um, and uh, and he, he was a small guy, smaller than me, uh, but he had just this demeanor that was disarming. And, uh, and there, they were most upset, and the pink tractors, frankly, were a, a, a bigoted way to of responding because the guy who was the head of HR for for Caterpillar UK was a gay guy. Uh, okay, okay, okay. And, That's the uh, the pink tractors. Yeah, and he was old school, you know, like uh, chauffeur-driven in his in his Jaguar and Rolls Royce, and and came from some fancy family, you know, blah blah blah, and, and so everything that the these big burly Glaswegian, you know, uh, workers were, he was exactly the opposite. And it just wasn't working. And so, so Don came in and you, these workers are, you know, six two, six three, Massive. And, and he was like five seven. Right, right, right. And he would just talk with them like, right. no problem. And, right. you know, he's from the Midwest, so yeah. there's no air about him. And, uh, and he was able to calm it down and convince them to come back and open things up and have a real conversation. And, and uh, it was masterful and very interesting to watch. Oh, um, that's fantastic. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah, yeah. It was, that was very interesting. That's good. Because that's what it's all about, how we communicate with each other. Yeah. And I go a little bit further now that we can do it with um, our technology. I think it's the way that we vibrate. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you vibrate, and we can sense that. You can, yeah. I mean, sure they have cameras or something that can show yeah. how people are radiating in a certain way. Uh -huh. And they, I think they've done that with this color spectrum or something, uh -huh. showing that when you're very positive, you have this white light, uh -huh. and when you're not, it turns red or whatever. Uh -huh. And I think people feel it. Animals yeah, yeah. sense each other that way, basically. Yeah, yeah. And well, I think he had that. I practiced uh, yoga for years. Mm -hmm. um, not practicing currently, but for years I did, and, mm -hmm. and uh, they would have gatherings for pranayama and mm -hmm. for chanting, and, and their whole, chakras, right. yeah, their whole uh, idea was that they were going to be sending this, these vibrations into the universe right. for There are people doing that right now, yeah. always, always. So your third mentor, who was that? So my third mentor was the head of, uh, of pol uh, political uh, for the, the Republican National Committee. Um, they have uh, an individual who's responsible for processing all of the potential candidates that they are bringing on board across the whole country, doing um, all of the polling that the RNC wants to do about those candidates to determine whether they want to support them financially or not, um, helps them message when they have problems, um, Anyway, that was very that was a very interesting role uh, to see played out. Although, I would say he wasn't a great mentor. Uh, the other two were both really good mentors. They were um, good with people. Yeah, they were good people, and they were they were they were open. They they included you in to their you know, their their whole network and their life. And but this guy, he just wanted me to be an intern. Rather than rather than really be an employee, right? Yeah, right, right. He wanted me to make right. photocopies and, right, right, and right, right, right. you know ha, get, get the lunch right. and yeah. you know that kind of thing and and uh, and so 
it wasn't that wasn't as good. I ended up uh, um, you know learning quite a lot, but it was kind of like almost a negative mentorship. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like you you learn how not to behave. You right, learn, right. So um, you had to take it for what it was worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know exactly what happened to him because of course we haven't stayed in touch. Right. Um, <laughs> the other two, I I still in touch well, with. Uh, it's the yin and the yang. If yeah, you don't yeah. have that experience, it wouldn't have made the other two so good. Yeah. You'd have, it's well, nice to have three, but you need to see yeah, the differences. Yeah. Something else that was really good is that because over the years I continued to stay, especially in touch with the first mentor, because I knew their family and I was mm -hmm. you know, basically kind of one of their kids, um, I also got to see him in a very low point in his in oh, yeah. his business. Oh, I see. Um, they, they lost a whole bunch of accounts. Things were changing from old style direct mail to a kind of new style direct mail, and he wasn't really prepared for that. And uh, and you know when you're when Republicans are winning, it's not really that great for Republican fundraisers. It's when the Democrats are winning that it's good That's for Republican great. Right, fundraisers. Of and uh, and so kind of really a product of your own success in a way. Right, 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 right. right. And. Uh, and plus, with his success with Reagan, he then kind of doubled down on his conservative credentials, and so he wouldn't take anybody who he saw as possibly as, being yes. as a as a rhino. Right. And they used okay, the right. word rhino. They back sure then did. Too. They sure did. They sure did. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so anybody who was a rhino, he would not uh, he would no, not support. Did. And so he picked a lot of losers for the years after that. The only one that he picked that. That I supported as well was uh, Jack Kemp. Okay. Because um, Jack Kemp was a really great man. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, he's picked, you know, like his most recent one was Ben Carson. He loved Ben Carson. Um, and I just never understood that. But anyway. So you, you finished your college. Would mm -hmm. you finish with a degree in what? Uh, social science? sciences. Social sciences. Social studies, yeah. It was okay. like uh, basically. Uh, Politics and religion and sociology mixed. They called it a divisional major, mm -hmm. uh, and you could create your own, you know, envelope for that. Right. Uh, and so I did sociology, uh, political science, and religion. Did uh, you have a job planned right after that, or did you know what you? I were went to the Justice Department. I worked for Ed Meese. Did you immediately? Yeah. In D.C. Yeah. Okay. And how long did you do that? Uh, just for two years, and then I had backed Jack Kemp. Okay. For president, right. and uh, and of course uh, Herbert Walker won, and uh, and so um, I wasn't going to be able to continue at the Justice Department, and I, you know, I was, I think I was twenty two or twenty three or something like that, you mm -hmm. know. So you're a little full of yourself, right. and uh, and so I was like, oh, you know, I want to go to the next for me, it's the White House or State Department. There's just, you know, nothing else. Exists. Nothing else exists. Right. You know, and uh, and Jack was the housing and urban development um, head, and and so he offered me a job there, and uh, and I said, I'm sorry, but I can't go there. <laughs> so, was, so where'd you go? Here. Wait, I came wait, to wait, Japan. wait, wait, wait. Okay. So tell me how you decided to come to Japan after that. So my alma mater, this little Eureka College, had been asked by the head of AFLAC in Georgia to uh, work with the head of AFLAC in Japan. I don't know if you know Otake-san, do you remember Otake-san? Otake I may have, I saw yeah. him. Anyway, uh, to, he's very patrician, um, <laughs> to uh, come and help him open a branch campus of Eureka College with someone who they were going to introduce to. And, uh, and so we came and opened a branch campus for Eureka College uh, in collaboration was with... Was it two of you? A yeah, it was two of us. Okay. Uh, with a Simon Gakko. It was me and um, my, uh, the head of my scholarship program, a guy named Phil Palin, okay. uh, who I just was texting with today, actually. He's, right. he's a but he's not here anymore, is he? No, no, no. He, he went back. He left after three years, I want to okay, say. Okay, so he just set it up, then left. Yeah, um, his, okay. his, uh, he had young children, and his wife didn't really like being in Japan so much. Right, and right, she right. Felt is your wife Japanese by any chance? She is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my wife's Japanese. Did you met her on that first trip that you came here? Uh, well, I, I, I moved here. That, that I was not first trip. I just, Wait, I, you, I, you I, got off the plane, I got off the plane on April 1st of 1989, 
and I started, we opened this school on like April 17th, I want to say, you know, it was like right away. Um, and uh, and I've been here ever since. I did that for... Wait, you, wait, so when you came, you came with the intent that you were going to stay here? No, I thought I was right. coming for two years. That's what I thought, yes. And then so one of my friends who, who had been the... Um, the patronage guy uh, at the Justice Department. He was okay. a lawyer. Okay. But Dan Quayle asked this guy to be the chief counsel for his vice president's office. And, uh, and so it, it had just been a plan that we were going to give two years. The first round of political appointees would disappear. And then you'd come and, back. And then he would invite me to come and, and one of these roles that I thought I deserved. Right, of course. Of course. <laughs> and, and so, so I arrived, and he was wonderful. He sent he sent a, a letter uh, from the vice president to me here in Japan that had to be hand delivered by somebody from the embassy. Wow. So, um, literally, the DCM, oh, that's um, beautiful. A guy named Bill Breer, yeah. um, knocked on my door, and said, "I have a message a for the vice you." President. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I. You know, took it and but you and knew this was your appointment. Yeah, <laughs> you just crazy. knew that you were going to be appointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was crazy and uh, and so it was a nice it was a nice letter and so on. But his the real purpose from his perspective was just to have me connect with the people from the embassy, which it worked. Um, mm, of course, and I was was very engaged with the embassy during uh, Mike Armacost especially, but then since then numerous times. And, and in fact, I just came back from Okinawa uh, doing the ambassador's scholarship program, uh, choosing oh, kids for that. Um, but uh, but I, we assumed I was going to go back. Uh, and after my first year doing the the branch campus, um, I decided I really liked Japan, and I thought I should give it a bit of time. And so he came back to me, actually earlier than two years, probably a year and a couple months into it, and said, "Hey, there's a position that might be that's available, um, and if you're interested." I could put your name in, um, but it wasn't quite the kind of thing I w really wanted to do, and I wasn't sure I wanted to s just pack up and head back for something that was kind of super junior. And and uh, and so I said, okay, no, I, I think I'll pass on this one, but keep me in mind. Um, and uh, and then the bubble fully burst. Issues with this is eighty nine. This is eighty nine. This is now ninety. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And uh, and the the. The people who were funding this activity um, started getting a little bit, you know, tighter, and uh, and then uh, the Japanese government decided to sanction one of the partners who was a semongako. And I, at the time when we did this, we didn't realize that a semongako was not like a small university. Mm -hmm. We thought that it was something more so akin to, more, right. to college education, but. As it turns out, it's more akin so to, right. you know, I mean, vocational English type thing. Right, right, yeah, exactly. yeah. So yeah. it wasn't a great fit, and then suddenly he didn't have any money because he had been uh, bringing like 600 kids per year into this program from China, Korea, etc., and he only had authorization for 60. Mm. And uh, So they burned him in a lot of ways. Oh, uh, yeah. Did they come after him? Oh, yeah. He was he was the poster child that year. If he went and hunted it up, Greg Geigo Gakuin, um, Joseph Wong was his name. Well, that happened with all the um, all the schools basically, and it happened with the English programs too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why what was the big one they had at that time? Nova, I think, yeah, went yeah. under. Yeah, yeah. Because they were doing the same thing. There yeah. was just the churn. Yeah, yeah. They had this constant churn. Yeah. So we had to. So we we needed to unfold uh, and wind things up, and so I. Focused for three months, getting all my 280 kids sent off to U.S. schools directly, um, as many as could be directly enrolled because they're English level. We did that. Those who couldn't, we signed special agreements. We did an agreement with. Uh, you mean Jane? No, beauty. Yeah, well, Jane, Jane, Jane Jane's father. Jane Yamano. Yeah, so oh, you. Mike oh, yeah, Yamano. Yeah, Mike Yamano. That's yeah, the same. Mike. So Jane yeah, Yamano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just Mike passed. Yamano. He just yeah, passed. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did. Uh, I do see Jane once in a while too. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we, we so so uh, we did a deal with Mike, and he took some kids into his program, uh, and we did uh, some kids to uh, a community college in Los Angeles, and we did some kids 
to a set of other uh, mm. private uh, liberal arts colleges um, in Virginia and the Midwest. And, and so we got everybody transferred. And then uh, in that process, I started the Laurasian Institution. I started the Laurasian Institution in, uh, in December 1990, December 13, 1990. That's a good segue into what you're doing. Yeah. So Laurasians, why the name? Uh, it's the hypothetical megacontinent that existed some billions of years ago. Um, as, the, as the Earth um, developed land, um, there was something that they initially hypothesized as existing called Pangaea. Right. This is one land mass before it, divided. Before it starts to break right, right. and then slide. And, uh, and so the first break north-south was called Laurasia for the north, and the south was Gondwana. 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 And, and so because the people who were involved in doing the, the idea were French friends, British friends, American friends, Japanese friends, we took that northern region as our kind of metaphor. Okay. Uh, the idea being that we had a shared past and we have a shared future. How do we cause ourselves to be closer? I like that. Uh, and so that's how we came up with the name. Now, how did you come up with the PAX? Uh, so PAX, uh, actually, I did not come up with the name of. Uh, a, a lovely woman um, who started it in 1990, same year but different month, um, decided she needed some help. And so she had heard about me through various contacts, and she asked me if I would join her board. And, uh, and so I did. Uh, and uh, and in after some time, this is 2009. Um, we'd sent him. We'd sent her some kids in 2006, seven, eight from China. We, we had a big office in China at the time, and uh, and so her staff knew who who I was, and and uh, she would that was asking around to folks who are at the State Department and others, and they said, you know, you should contact Bradley Smith. He's he knows the field. He knows uh, knows uh, where things are going. He's young. Um, I was younger then. <laughs> I'm not young anymore, but I was younger then. You still young. Um, and uh, and so she said, "Would you be willing to come and join my board?" And so I did. Uh, I did that for a couple of years, and then she came back and said, "Would you be willing to, you know, take over?" I said, "I would." You know, maybe some kind of interim thing we do first, and I kind of see whether I feel like the workings are what. I find appropriate, and cause some of those, some of those kind of organizations that are run by somebody who's done it for you know forty years or whatever it can be kind of you know. Yeah, not um, what they not what they appear to be on the outside. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, so I did. It turned out to be a lovely organization with great people, uh, and so in two thousand twelve, I took over as president of the organization. We still kept the two entities separate. Right. Uh, but now and, and in two thousand fifteen, we merged the two together, joined our boards, and, uh, and now we have one unit. We call it, now we call it Pax Laurasian Exchange is the umbrella organization. Right. Laurasian Institution is the Japan-US um, activities, and the uh, Pax Program of Academic Exchange is the inbound uh, program for high school students mm -hmm. coming to the US. And in both cases, um, we have a third uh, or more of our budget that comes from government. So on the Japan side, we do a lot of work for the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, we do the Kakehashi program that uh, has been around for decades now. We Kakehashi, which is what? Uh, Kakehashi program is bringing Japanese, right now, Japanese to the United States. It normally is a bilateral okay, thing, yes. but of course has not been uh, working that way recently. Okay, right, right, right. But the idea is that you are moving from one place to the other to build a bridge of friendship. Right. Um, it came out of a program that uh, was named Kizuna, and we did that with the Japan Foundation. Japan Foundation, um, well, for various reasons, the money flowed through the Fulbright Commission, so it could be c considered ODA. And then, <laughs> then it arrived in the Japan Foundation, and the Japan Foundation uh, shared it with us, and and the Japan Foundation and Laurasian uh, co-administered this program. And at the time, it was 
a huge project. We had 6,000 kids a year going back and forth, mm. all different ages, uh, all different grade levels. Um, no real adult programs primarily, like went through, through graduate studies down to middle school kids. Um, now the budget is m much more restricted as you might imagine. Um, this year we have 300 kids all going from Japan to the United States. Our and this is the first time they've done it for three years. Of course. Of course. And, uh, and it's our assumption that next year we'll get bilateral activity going again. Uh, and once we are able to do that, then we assume that the mm -hmm. number will grow, but it probably will never grow more than whatever, five, 600 kids, I suspect. That's the most you think you'll get again? Probably, yeah, yeah. There was, well, political because will. Political just will. politically? Yeah, so even before the pandemic occurred, uh, they, they were only sending 1,000 kids back and forth. Okay, so you can see that happening. they 6,000 to 1,000, yeah. The birth rate is going down, that's for sure, but that much that you'd have to half it? No, no, it's not about birth rates. It's just yeah, about it's, it, it. it's just about political will. Okay. Um, they they don't they don't see the direct value. Um, I think um, politically right now there's a, a lot of discontent uh, in the electorate in Japan. Um, the reason it switched from Kizuna to Kakehashi was because um, when they were doing Kizuna, there were significant protests about the use of public funds for this, what they saw as a wasteful project. Uh, and so they, they already dropped the numbers in the third year and changed the name uh, and, uh, and then tried to talk about it differently mm -hmm. you know, in the diet. Um, so it's, it's a more of a political will question. On the U.S. side, we, we get uh, funding from the, from the State Department to bring kids from the former Soviet satellite countries and predominantly Muslim countries. From the U.S. side? Yeah. And we bring, well, we bring them to the U.S., though. They come, they, they okay. come to the United States, to American right. high school. So you're handling that as well? We do, yeah. We have 75 okay. countries now uh, that we work with. How many people in your organization? Uh, for actual full-time employees. Actual full-time employees. Like 42. Forty-two. Uh, so, but yeah. worldwide, you have how many? Uh, you can that's engage. that's that's full time worldwide. Forty-two. Um, then we have uh, part time twenty some, and then we have contractors. Right, all over the world. One hundred sixty or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Bradley, this has been a really engaging. We could go on and on. And <laughs> on. I'm sure we could, there's so much we could talk about, and I yeah, plan yeah, on yeah. having you on again because yeah. you're traveling quite extensively anyway. Yeah, I'm back and forth uh, mostly every two weeks mm -hmm. uh, between New York and here. That's we cool. have an office in Seattle as well, so I have to get right. there every so often. And because we work with all of these countries, I need to visit seven to ten countries a year mm. just to kind of keep them in a right. you know a cycle. Does your wife ever travel with you? Uh, she comes to New York a lot, but not, we don't travel together really so much anymore. Um, primarily because she she's a, uh, works for SoftBank. Uh, she's what does a, she? She's a hombucho okay. for Jinji and Somu mm -hmm. at uh, mm -hmm. at SoftBank. And she enjoys what she's doing, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and so she's been very busy doing that. She mm -hmm. was a Torishimariyaku for a while, and yeah, so she's she's enjoyed that, but. Mm -hmm. But uh, that means that she can only take short stints out. So, so she comes to the United States uh, for a, a long week every month. I see. And she'll come on a, a Thursday or a Friday, and she'll stay until a Monday or Tuesday. She likes Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she likes Manhattan, although, although <laughs> she's still not super uh, comfortable just, like going out on her own. No, she should. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to say anything, but it's yeah, a whole yeah. different place. Yeah, yeah. So, so she stays pretty close to home. We have a wonderful apartment that we live in that has fantastic people living in it. We're right next to the United Nations, and the, there are employees from the United Nations well, in the building. There are yeah. retired folks. There are, and so, so you're always stimulated. There's always okay. somebody there who's that's like inviting beautiful. her to tea or yeah. whatever. Oh, that's nice. And of course, she has to work the opposite hours, so she's <laughs> up all night anyway. Um, well, that's in good. Order to be connected to Japan. So. Bradley, I always ask at the end of an interview mm -hmm. this question: mm -hmm. If you were able to go back in time with the knowledge you have now mm -hmm. and talk to the younger Bradley, mm -hmm. what age would you pick, and what advice would you give him? Well, there's so many opportunities <laughs> along the way where I can see, right now, I can see three or four different places where I should have gone back and talked to myself. 
Um, I would say the first one is, you know, when I was in D.C. and I was thinking about what I'm going to do next, and when I was, you know, in my early 20s, and so full of myself. You know, there was... You're aware of that now. Yeah, I was, and I, and I thought, now I think, boy, you really just should have been more relaxed, and you should have had some fun, and you should have recognized that, that you're not all that, you know? Um, but there was something called the Plum Book, uh, and if your name was in the Plum Book, you were invited to all these parties around the city and to, you know, big events, and you got to be at the White House regularly and so on, and since I was part of the, on the, in the Plum Book, I just thought I was pretty special. And, uh, and now as I look back, I think, you know, maybe I should have brighter horizons, broader horizons um, at the time. That, that is something that I, that I uh, think probably would have uh, helped save, say, another decade after that, where I probably was learning that I wasn't all that, um, but still, probably still, in my heart of hearts, thought it. Uh, that, that could have all been avoided. I want to thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Good We're going to do this again. again. Same yeah, here. Yeah, We're going to do this again. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And remember, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. Yeah.